0: Our text today is going to come from Paul's letter, first letter to the Corinthians. From Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're reading verses 21 through 27. 1 Corinthians 12, 21 through 27. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor the head to the feet. I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those members of the body that we think are less honorable, we clothe with greater honor. And our less respectable members are treated with greater respect. Whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body, giving the great, greatest honor to the inferior members, that there may be no distinction within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I'm a big fan of. I've bought so many books in my life based off book titles. I'm a big fan of um, of cleverly uh, named books. I've got a great. If you look at my bookshelf, you just see you'd see some very matter of fact, matter of factly named books. Christian theology, for instance, but other books that just have the the the. I bought them because the names were so interesting to me. By the way, I'm terrible at naming sermons. My sermons always have the most boring, the most bland titles. I try to, usually I hope they're pretty engaging, especially, hopefully they start off pretty engaging like this right here, but my sermons just always have the worst, most boring names. I think this sermon's entitled, in my notes, the spirit and the body. I mean, that doesn't sound fun at all, does it? So, I've got a couple books in my life um, that I bought just based off, uh, off the titles. One of them was a book written by a guy by the name, I think, I think J.D. Greer wrote this one. Um, it was uh, entitled, Stop Getting Saved, <laughs> which you're like, wait, what? This is a preacher telling folks to stop getting saved. What's that mean? His point was this. So often we, there's a gold line, the devil wants lost folk to think they're saved and saved folk to think they're lost. How many times in our life have we had a, a doubt or crisis of faith or, or struggle with we it? Well, I'm not even a Christian because I felt this way. No, uh-uh. you don't have to get saved every time. You don't have to come to the altar and get saved every time you have a crisis of faith. No, crises of faith and struggles with faith are just part of the Christian journey. That's why the great story in the, in the Old Testament of Joseph wrestling with God is there. Sometimes in our faith, we just wrestle with God. So that, his point was actually a, a book to, of encouragement to Christians to stop beating themselves up when they have struggles. <clears throat> so I like uh, Stop Getting Saved. That, that one stuck with me. Uh, the other was a book that I really liked by a guy by the name of, um, of uh, Craig O'Shell uh, entitled The Practical Atheist. And I'm like, ooh, what, is, what does that mean? Because I knew he was a preacher. What does that mean? And this book was about basically how sometimes we believe in God But we live as though God does not exist. So we live as practical atheists because we, our belief in God, our intellectual belief in God does not transcend to actually how we live our lives. And so that book rocked my world. There was a chapter that stuck with me. The chapter that that really haunted me for years was, I believe in God, but I trust more in money. Because with our finances, sometimes we live as practical atheists. We live as though we believe in God. We don't really live like God exists. We live like we live like practical atheists. That that book stuck with me, um, really. I would I actually would encourage you to read that one. It's probably a decade or so old now, but uh, it really stuck with me. But another one that stuck with me was a a book a book by the man a book by a man by the name of Francis Chan. Uh, some of you may be familiar with Francis Chan because he wrote another book that a lot of folks really have enjoyed through the years called Crazy Love. But he wrote a wrote a book called The Forgotten God. I thought, ooh. What's that about, the forgotten God? What is it's about? It's about the Holy Spirit. And his entire point was that we as Christians don't give proper thought and proper deference and proper uh, recognition and proper intellectual thought to the role of the Holy Spirit in our life, in our faith, in our church, that we just we don't really think about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the forgotten God. It's not just that the Father is God or that the Son is God. But the Spirit is God in the same way that the Father is God and that the Son is God. The Spirit is God. The Spirit is part of the Godhead. In the same way that the Father and the Son are part of the Holy Trinity, so is the Holy Spirit. But we don't think about the Holy Spirit like that, do we? We really don't. We fixate more upon the Father and the Son. And we tend to forget about the Holy Spirit. Especially those of us who aren't Pentecostal. Uh, we tend to, uh, we tend to uh, my, my Pentecostal friends joke with me that we Methodists don't even believe in the Holy Spirit because we never experience it. I'm like, yeah, we do. We just experience it differently. Um, but uh, we, we sometimes, we forget we forget about the Holy Spirit and the role that the Spirit has within our lives. Today, in our series on the, uh, as we continue with This I Believe, talking about what we believe, looking at the Apostles' Creed, today today, today's section we're looking at is, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, and the communion of saints. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Now, this one, in some ways, is an easier confession to make than the father and the son, because there's not as many. We don't have earthly concepts of spirit in the same way that we have earthly concept of father, earthly concept of son. So I am a father, and I am a son. Every male will have some concept of what it means to be a son. You know? And many of us are going to have a concept of what it means to have a son, or, or and we're we're gonna we're all gonna have a we're all gonna have a concept of what it means. We, we might not all be fathers. We're all gonna have a concept of what it means to have a father. These father son languages are, are are in many ways easier to understand, but sometimes take the most explaining because they're so bound up in our human experience. We can't think of what they mean theologically or what they what they mean in, div- in a divine Trinity sense. We don't think about the fact that we are a spirit. So we don't really pro- we don't project the spiritness on God because we don't think that way. We also don't really project God's spiritness upon us. Spirit seems to be an entirely different type thing. So we don't have to, in many ways, untangle the humanness of Father and Son that we do with the Father and Son within the Trinity. We don't have to do the same work with spirit because we just don't, we don't think that same way. We associate the Spirit in just different ways. But today, we're confessing that we believe in the Holy Spirit. And if you look at the creed, the creed lays out in an interesting format. I believe in God the Father Almighty, then it expands upon that, the maker of heaven and earth. And then Jesus Christ, the only Son, our Lord, then it expands upon that. So it's a, the, remember, the creed is a Trinitarian confession. The foundation, the rebar of the creed, if you will, I believe in the Father, I believe in the Son, and I believe in the Spirit. That's the foundations of the creed Father, Son, Spirit. And then those beliefs, Father, Son, Spirit, are expanded upon. So, Father, maker of heaven and earth, the Son, virgin birth, life, death, resurrection, return. Well, we're going to finish out this series by looking at what the Spirit does. We're going to talk about the Spirit. We're going to talk about the church, communion of saints, forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. This week we're going to look at the first part. Next week on Palm Sunday, the second part. But do you you see these things here? Church, forgiveness, these things. These all flow from the Spirit. So while in many ways... The Spirit may feel like the forgotten part of this. The Spirit is the most practical part of all of our Christian experience. Because the way that we, are, that we experience the Father and the Son is through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the, the only way that we can even know the Father and the Son is through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit sometimes can be the most difficult part of the Trinity to understand. But the Holy Spirit is always the most practical part to experience. Because we can't experience anything about God apart from the Holy Spirit. So we believe in the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. The Spirit is as much a part of the divine Godhead. The Spirit is much a part of God as the Father and the Son are. The Spirit is coequal with the Father and the Son. The, <clears throat> the Spirit is not left out in the corner, forgotten about. But the Spirit is, part of the tri, the, is an equal part of the Trinity in the same way that the Father and the Son are. The reason why, the, the, reason why the, the, the early church spent so much time trying to flesh out Jesus' role in the Trinity was because His role was just hard to understand. He was human, but he was God. What does that even mean? So, so much of the creed is spent trying to, so much of, particularly the Nicene Creed, but even in the Apostles' Creed. If you look at the Apostles' Creed, we spend more time talking about Jesus than we do anything else. One of the reasons why we spend so much time talking about Jesus is because we struggle to understand what all he was and who all he was in a way that we don't really struggle with the Father and the Son. I'm sorry, Father and the Spirit. But the Spirit is co-equal with the Father and with the Son, the third person of the Trinity, and he is as much God as the Father is God and the Son is God. I'm going to talk a little about this next week. There's a creed called the Athanasian Creed that spends a lot of time talking about all of these things, uh, really nailing down specifics of this and how the Spirit is is God. Spirit is Lord. Spirit is co-equal. The Spirit is God, just like the Father is God, like the Son is God. So you could pray to the Spirit in the same way you could pray to the Father, you could pray to the Son. Um, so we, this, this is at first a Trinitarian confession. In the same way that we confess the Father, we confess the Son, we confess the Spirit in the same way. The Spirit is the third part of the Trinity, but not the lesser part of the Trinity. The Spirit is as much a part of the triune Godhead as the Father and the Son. But the Spirit practically is the way by which we understand God. There, there's a, there's a, I, when we talked about the cross, I talked about how on, on the cross, the wrath of God was satisfied, that God did not change, but on the cross, Jesus atoned for our sins, and God's wrath was forever satisfied, and that's, that's done. Well, on Pentecost, the Spirit falls. And something interesting happens at Pentecost. If you go back and look at, if you go back and look in the Old Testament, the Spirit, the way, the, the way I compare it is like, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit is like a rifle shot. It's one, it, it, the Spirit will fall on a specific person. The Holy, Old Testament will say the Spirit fell upon David, or the Spirit fell upon the prophet, or the Spirit, Spirit fell upon whomever. That was like an individual thing that fell upon that person. Look at the baptism of Jesus. The Spirit descended like a dove. You see an individual thing falling, the Spirit falls on an individual. Well, at Pentecost, the Spirit falls upon everyone. And now the Spirit is at work in the world in ways that our minds can't even fathom. Once Pentecost happened, the Spirit fell upon everyone. And that's how we even know who God is, is through the Spirit. The Spirit reaches out to us. In, in, in the Wesleyan tradition, there's something called the Scripture Way of Salvation. And that really really deals with grace and the role that grace plays in our life. If you've ever heard me or any preacher mention the word grace, you've heard them speak of the Spirit. Because the only way that we can know grace, the only way that we can experience grace is through the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the means by which we know and experience God's grace. So it's the spirit that's at work to us in prevenient grace, calling out to us before our salvation. It's the spirit that's at work within baptism. It's the spirit that's at work in justifying grace, where we are converted and saved. And it's the spirit that's at work in sanctifying grace, which grows us to be more faithful. The Spirit is at work in every part of our salvation and in every part of our Christian life. The Spirit is always at work. It's the Spirit that draws us to God. It's the Spirit that convicts us. It's the Spirit that assures us. It's the Spirit that grows us. It's the Spirit that pushes us. If you've ever heard the word grace talked about, then you have heard the Spirit talked about. Through every part of our conversion and sanctification, through the means of grace. When we receive communion and we experience God's grace, that's the Spirit at work. When you're reading your Bible and you feel God speak to you, you feel convicted, you feel convicted, or changed, or challenged, that's the Spirit at work. When you're in worship and the hairs on the back of your neck are raised, or you hear God whispering to you, that's the Spirit at work. When you're s- serving your neighbor or your enemy, and you feel your heart warmed, And you know that you're where God wants you to be. That's the spirit of work. When you're praying and you feel that still small voice whispering to you and you feel the presence and power of God, that's the spirit of work. Every way and every time that we have experienced God in our life, that has been the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the means by which we experience and by which we know the Father. And we know the Son. We are saved, We are brought to the Father by grace through faith, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. The very act of becoming a Christian is only possible because of the work of the Holy Spirit. And so everything else that's going to flow from this creed is going to be a result of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is the practical way that we experience and that we know God. The Spirit is our doorway into our path with God and our daily walk with God. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. This is one of those things that's, uh, that's, uh, that's tripped up many of us throughout the years. In fact, if you look in the, in the hymnal where it says Catholic You'll see a note there to go to the bottom, and that means universal. Remember, and I don't know how much you're aware of this. You've heard of the Protestant Reformation in the 1500s. Pre-Protestant Reformation, well, I guess pre-1054, when the Eastern Church and the Western Church split off, there was only one church. That church was Catholic, not Roman Catholic. Hear me. Catholic. The word Catholic means universal. The word, the Roman Catholic Church is the denomination that has the Pope and the structure and the hierarchy. The Catholic Church is the church that is made up of all believers across the world. Methodists are part of the Catholic Church. Baptists are part of the Catholic Church. Roman Catholics are part of the Catholic Church. Episcopals are part of the Catholic Church. Presbyterians, Pentecostals, all denominations, all those who believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and who have been saved by him and through him and with him by the power of the Holy Spirit are part of the Catholic Church, universal church. We believe in a church that's bigger than just us. That's one of the things I love most about our church We believe in a church that's bigger than just St. Matthews. We believe in a church that's bigger than just the Methodist Church. We believe in a church that's bigger than just the church in Mississippi. We believe in a church that is Catholic, that is made up of all people, of all races, of all cultures, of all these things. We believe in a church that is universal, That that is more than just us. That's more than just me and my family. That's more than just me and my church. It is a church that is universal, so no other church is our competition We don't live in an age of competition with other churches. Other churches are our brothers and sisters in Christ. They're not our competition. Ridgecrest, First Baptist, Madison Methodist, Parkway, Broadmoor, Pine Lake. They're not our competition. Our competition's the devil. No other church is our competition. They're our brothers and our sisters. They are part of the holy Catholic church that we are part of. We believe in a church that is bigger than just us, a church that is united by the Spirit, created by the Spirit, and that is led by the, by, the, by the Son and the Father. We believe in a church that is rooted in who God is, and that church is bigger than just me and you. It is universal. It is Catholic. It's made up of all believers across the world. It's one of the interesting things in the early church. Go and read Paul in Galatians. The church was so radical. Paul says there's neither male nor female, slave nor free, Greek nor Jew, for all one in Christ. The church, throughout its history, has always been a body that's open to all who believe in Christ, regardless of race, or nationality, or economic status, or any of these human divisions, but it's made up of all persons who confess Christ as Lord. The um, So many of the early church fathers that you hear me quote all the time were African. One of the seeds of the early church was North Africa. If you look now where the church is growing the most, it's not in the West. It's not in America. The church is slowly dying in America. It's not. The institutional church is slowly dying in America. The body of Christ is going to be just fine. But you look where it's growing. Africa. Iran. China. China. Latin America, Philippines, a place like that. Soon the largest Christian country in the world will be China. We see the church exploding across the world. It's not American. It's Catholic. Made up of all persons. And that's a challenge for us sometimes. To live into that and think of that because for, uh, Tim Keller made a great point. The church is the only, the Christian faith is the only faith whose geographic center has moved throughout time. The first Christians were in the Holy Land. Then the geographic center of the church shifted to Europe. Then it shifted to America. Now it shifted to Africa. The church is a body that is not one race. But it's open to all who believe in Christ. and And I want to I want to say this now, Um, I want to be very clear, that racism has no place in the body of Christ, and we as Christians have to fight against that, in every way, shape, and form possible. I I got a problem, y'all. I believe this stuff and my Bible tells me that God so loved the world my Bible tells me that God wishes that all should be saved my Bible tells me that all persons are made in the image of God my Bible tells me that all persons are fallen and all persons are need of redemption and all persons black, white Asian, Native American, Hispanic, all persons are made in the image of God. C.S. Lewis says, you will never look at a mere mortal. Everyone you ever met is an eternal being made in the image of God. We have to work hard make sure we live out that truth. Because our world's not always going to agree with that. So, I don't have any great motivational words here. (laughs) I just think we need to make sure that we know, as people who believe the Bible, that we cannot allow racism to have any part of who we are, who the church is, and of the Christian faith. That's not what Christ came for. The church is Catholic and made up of all persons who believe in Jesus. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe the Holy Catholic Church. I believe in the communion of saints. Now this one... This is, now we're kind of getting back to like the father and son are saying that. The, the communion of saints references the fact that the church is not just here upon the earth, but the church is eternal in the heavens. The terms I've often heard it called were church militant, the church at work upon the world, in the world, church triumphant, the church that's in heaven. And there's a unity, there's a communion, there's a connection between those who have finished their labors in Christ. I think Rome, I think uh, Hebrews 11 and 12 laid this out quite well, where it talks about how Hebrews 11 lists all the great saints of the Old Testament. And then, and then 12 says, And now since, we have this, we're, since we're surrounded by this mighty cloud of witnesses, let us run the face race set before us. So uh, that we're going to sing a song, closing worship. Uh, and she on earth hath union with God the three in one, and mystic sweet communion with those whose rest is one. So we talk about how the church is Catholic now here upon the earth. Well, the church is also Catholic in terms of our connection with those who are in eternity. There is a communion between us and them. There is a there's a promise that our life in the church continues in eternity. Oh, I love the church so much. I love the church. It's such an imperfect creation. But I've given my life to it. I have, and I'm thankful to have done that. And hopefully, get to continue doing that. And I love that you're part of it. Paul says that uh, we're members of the body. And you matter, you're part of this body, you matter to the body, you matter to God. The church is not the same without you. So as things open up, by the way, the church is more than just worship. Worship is part of it. But as things continue to open back up, I, I would really implore you to once again find your place in the life of the church with our ministries. Because our church needs you. We do. And I'm, I'm talking to my friends online right now who are watching this. We need you. When you're ready and able, we're here for you. We need you back in worship, in the life of the church. Because great things are going to happen here at St. Matthew's. And great things are going to happen in this body. I'm thankful for you that you're part of it. So we believe in the Holy Spirit. My prayer for us today and each day is that we can open ourselves up to allow the Spirit to call us, to convict us, to speak for us and through us. And allow us to be faithful to our mission that God has given us. So let's not let the Spirit be forgotten in our life. Let's not let the Spirit be forgotten. Let's allow the Spirit to live through us, in us, and call us each day to our mission for God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Spirit. We thank you for this triune God this, that, that you are. We thank you for your love, for your mercy, for your acceptance, for your grace, for all that you are, God. Wrap us in your arms of love now. We love you. We ask it in Jesus' sweet and holy name. Amen.